Bright Metal Audio presents The Blood Miles by Andrew Moody, read by the author. Volume 1, Chapter 9. I tried to twist free, but Beals had already locked a massive arm around my neck and was dragging me backwards through the bushes. I wanted to fight him, but he was just too strong. Instead, I was simply fighting to breathe. The way the man was choking me was cutting off the blood to my head so that my vision shrank away into darkness. I blacked out completely, returned to consciousness as a stick scraped one of my trailing legs, faded out again. Now I was lying on my back with Beals' knees on either side of me, and one of my own legs folded back painfully under me. The man still had his arm around my throat, and had now clamped a foul-tasting hand over my mouth. I gagged and tried to pull my head free, but again felt the vice close on my neck. You shut up and lie still or I'll put you out again, he hissed in my ear. I stopped struggling. I could hear the engine close by now, and voices calling out above it. You know the rules, bird, said a woman's voice that was somehow familiar to me. You got no business holding him. Rules don't apply, said bird's voice. If I don't see a coat, he's fair game. If he's headed for Crux, he belongs to Central. That ain't what he says. He says he doesn't want to join up, says he's just looking for a shot. That what he told you, that he didn't want to join Central? Near enough. I want to see him for myself. My foggy mind scrabbled to understand what was going on. Who was this person? Why was she asking about me? I don't see any call for that, said Bird. How do I know Beals hasn't got him tied up back there somewhere? How do I know you won't try to snatch him if I bring him out? There was a pause before Bird spoke again. Give it up, Evie. You ain't going to win this one. The woman said something in response, but I was too distracted to focus on it. A string of realizations was forming in my mind as it cleared. The first triggered by the lieutenant's use of the name Evie, was that the voice was that of Evangeline Varakis, the agent I had met back in Spillen. The second was that this was my last chance to get away from these men. If I didn't find a way to escape from Beals right now, I would soon be finding out what the words dope or dice meant. The third realisation was that the thing digging into my thigh was the handle of the knife that I'd been keeping in my boot since the hut up in Horeb. I pulled it free and stabbed it into Sergeant Beals's kneecap as hard as I could. The man roared and swore as I tore myself loose and began flailing and stumbling through the bushes toward the sound of the engine. I heard a shotgun being racked. Then there was a massive detonation and the sound of pallets striking metal just ahead of me. I burst into the open, tripped and rolled onto the dust in front of the agent's van, no more than a metre from the legs of Lieutenant Bird. I got to my feet as the man drew his pistol. Get in, Chris, shouted Eve. Quick, they can't hurt you if you're in the V. I made it round the corner of the vehicle as the first bullet ricocheted off the bonnet the second deflected from the windshield as I grabbed the passenger's door. Then, as I dragged myself inside, there was a flash of black and tan as the Alsatian hurled itself after me. It crashed into the door, pushing it closed and projecting its breath, muzzle, teeth and slobber through the half-down window. I jerked backwards towards the dash and rolled sideways into my seat as Eve slammed her foot on the accelerator. I banged my head on the doorpost as she swerved around Bird. Then there was another impact on the glass as Buddy Lyle swung at me with his torque wrench. The van rocked again. Then we were past the other vehicle and out of the clearing. Eve ploughed through a curtain of saplings, roared over a malleful mound, and charged toward the shadow of the ravine. Hold on, she said. Soon as we get to the gap, we'll be safe. There was another ping as something hit the rear of the vehicle, another jolt as Eve swerved around a boulder. I raised an arm to brace myself with a hangstrap, but stopped with a groan. A sudden pain had arced across my shoulders. You okay, said Eve, looking over at me as we bounced out of a pothole. Think so. I don't know, I said. Lean forward so I can see, she said. You've been hit. Push yourself back hard into the seat and it'll slow the bleeding. 
we'll just go a bit further and there'll be a place where we can stop. We were in the canyon itself now, boulders and low shrubs flashing by. As the agent turned the vehicle to follow its curves, the shifting momentum forced me to compensate with my arms and legs. I could feel the blood trickling down my lower back. The pain in my shoulders was like a fire. Will they come after us in here? I said. Not likely. This is envoy territory. They know better than to mess with him. She turned the vehicle around another bend and came to a wider stretch. Soon I could see a narrow stream winding along the base of the left-hand cliff and small trees and bushes growing from cracks in the rocks. Then the dirt of the valley floor turned to sand, sloping down to the creek. When we reached the next turn, the creek had widened to a pool that stretched halfway across the open space. On the far side of it, tiny birds splashed in the water and flitted about in the eucalypts and she-oaks growing along the rocky bank. Eve stopped the vehicle and helped me out. Then she sat me down on a boulder by the water, peeled back my shirt and injected me with something to blunt the pain. Doesn't look too bad. You've just copped a couple of pellets. Shallow, I think, but I can't really tell. Can you get them out? Not by myself. I'll clean you up and give you a temporary dressing, but we'll go and see Prediger. He'll know what to do and he's close by. Is that the envoy? Prediger? No, Prediger works for the envoy, same as me. There was a satisfying ripping noise as she peeled off a strip of tape and stuck it over the dressing. Thanks for saving me back there, I said. You came along at just the right time. She gave a wry, sounding laugh. Yeah, well, I would have gotten to you sooner if you hadn't been so elusive. I've been trying to find you for ages. Didn't you see me? I suddenly felt stupid. I knew someone was following me. I guess I thought it was the guys from Ockham. How did you find me? I only saw you once and then lost you in the hills. Then I got a report there'd been some kid up at Horeb. They told me to look for you on the wicket track. I almost kept going, except I saw your gear on the ground back there. I shuddered, imagining what might have come after that. Who were those guys, anyway? It sounded like they knew you. Bird and Beals. They're with Horde. It's what's left of the Territory Army from the wall. They get their pay from the Corp. I used to be with them in my younger and stupider days. Long story. Anyway, they are not good guys. It's a good thing we got you away from them. Yeah, I got that feeling. I had a hundred other questions somewhere in the back of my head, but suddenly I just wanted to sleep. The sun felt good on my bare skin, and whatever Eve had injected into the wound had melted the pain into a warm glow. Over on the far side of the water, a small honey-eater was taking a bath, hypnotically flashing brilliant yellow patches on its wings that splashed in the water. This is a good place, I said. Best spot in the mountains, she said. Only safe way through, too. Okay, wrap this blanket around you and let's get you back to the V. You can have a snooze as we go. When I woke up, the sun was in my eyes and my head was lolling against the blanket that Eve had wadded between it and the window. The pain in my shoulders had returned as a dull throb. The engine seemed to be straining and there was just sky above the windshield. In the background, Eve was talking to someone. Okay, see you in about twenty. Over and out. Where are we? I said. She passed me a water flask and gestured with her head. Side of Mount Tedasco, take a look. I straightened up and instinctively flinched back as I caught sight of the drop. We were halfway up a zigzag track cut into the face of the canyon. On the other side of the ravine, sun-raked cliffs stretched up toward the sky. Whoa, we're, we're a long way up? Don't worry, track solid. I've been up and down a hundred times. I looked at the central symbol on the steering wheel and tried to think of something that might keep my mind from visualising our wheels going off the crumbling edge. Hey, why does everything have the crossed syringes? Is it just because they give you an injection when you get the cure? They symbolise what happened with the envoy. Who's that? She looked over at me. He's the Pantark special representative and the one who came up with the cure. They dropped him into the zone, but Horde caught him. Then they staked him out in an X and injected him with the cystoxin to kill him. So he's dead, I said. Was. But they sent in a skyship and crash crew to bring him back. 
Now he's in Central running all the ops for the Pantark. Anyway, they put that X on everything because that was the moment his body metabolised the cure. When you get your shot, it's taken from his blood. The car rocked and I swallowed hard. I wanted to keep asking her questions. I also wanted to get my mind off the drop. But the thought of distracting her was even scarier. She solved the dilemma by asking me a question instead. So did Bird and Beals try to tell you that we want to brainwash you and turn you into a robot or something? Pretty much, I said. They said that the cure messes with your DNA and does stuff to your brain, is that right? She tilted her head in a half nod. If you're living in the AZ, then the tox has already damaged every cell in your body. The cure has to alter your DNA to fix you. And yeah, it has to affect your brain too, that's where the damage is worst. Because of the cysts, I said. Yeah, that's right. Did you read the card I gave you? I started to answer her, but suddenly I was distracted. We had just come around a projection in the cliff, and now I could see that we were almost at the top. A few kilometres away, a series of solid-looking stone buildings supporting an ancient-looking radio dish rose above the trees out of the cliff edge. Is that where your friend lives? I said. Yeah, that's Prediger's place. Praxis too, sort of. What's the big dish for? Communication and control. Prax uses it to maintain the network and watch over the whole territory so the envoy knows what's going on. The road brought us up level with the structure as it reached the top of the cliff. Over my left shoulder, across the other side of the gap, the ridge lines of Mount Tanak, Horeb and Barrett receded into a blue haze. Then the road that we were on turned in the opposite direction and began threading its way through lichen-covered boulders and sparse white eucalypts that swayed in the breeze. Wind down your window if you like, said Eve. I did as she said and felt the fresh mountain air flowing past me, smelling of gum leaves and grass. As we went on, patches of sunlight flickered in my eyes, and when I closed my eyelids and leant back on the headrest, my ears became aware of bird calls and the smooth crunching of the gravel under our tyres. I felt Eve break and raised my head to see that we had turned into a small shaded parking area next to one of the stone buildings that I had seen from the cliff. As we came to a stop, a balding man with spectacles and braces was emerging from an arched gateway. He caught sight of us and nodded, you must be Chris, he said as he opened the passenger door for me. My name is Ren Prediger. Eve tells me that you have some injuries for me to look at. Yes, on my back, I said. I turned my body and dropped the blanket to show him where Eve had taped over the wound. The movement sent a deep ache through my shoulder. I see. All right. Well, let's get you inside and take a proper look there. He helped me out of the vehicle and led the way through the arch into an arcade of uncut stone that bordered a courtyard of vegetable gardens and buzzing insects. Doors on the outside of the cloister stood open, showing small rooms and beds and tables. Another set of doors opened into a shadowy hallway from which I could hear distant music. But Predica kept leading us on, round the corner of the arcade, then up a low staircase into the main building. It was hard to see after the light outside, but now I could sense the mass of the walls and feel a heavy rug underneath my feet. The place had a smell like incense, mysterious, sharp and sweet at the same time. We came to a smaller door and the smell changed to disinfectant and soap. I felt Prediger guide me to a chair, heard a click, and then shut my eyes as a bright inspection lamp shone down on me. All right, let's take a look at you. If you'd lean forward a little. I did as he asked, staring down at the grey slate floor. Eve removed the blanket and Prediger began to peel off the tape and dressing. Once again, pain spread like waves of heat across the middle of my back, making beads of sweat spring up on my face. He paused and lightly pressed on the area above the bandage. I can see this is hurting you a bit. Why don't you take your mind off it by telling me what those scoundrels did and said to you? So I began telling him about what had happened since I'd first seen Beals, and all the things they'd said to me about Central using the promise of a cure to control people, and how they scanned people's brains to expose their secrets. 
And what did you think of all that? said Prediger. Well, I don't really want anybody scanning my brain. He laughed. Who would? I assure you that no one's going to scan your brain when you get to Crooks. There is a memory scan performed when you reach Central to see if the cure has taken hold in your system. But it isn't so they can test whether you're good enough to enter or whatever nonsense they told you. Do I have to go on to Central if I get the cure, I said. I mean, I was hoping I could just pay for the treatment myself and then, if it works, go back and tell everyone at home about it. Hmm, he said. Suddenly I felt a stab of pain in the deep tissue next to my shoulder blade. Well, I'm afraid there's no pain for it yourself. The Pantark is very strict on that point, and even if it were possible, there's no way you'd be able to afford it. The only way they give you the cure is if you accept the pardon and swear allegiance. As to where you go after Crooks, he went on, that would be up to the envoy. He might send you back to Spillen, or he might order you to go straight on to Central. Generally, he likes to give you some time for the cure to work through your system. The blood miles, said Eve. Exactly, said Prediger. I felt his forceps twist and pull and heard a sticky patter of metal on metal. That's one of them, he said, lowering the kidney dish so he could see the peppercorn-sized pellet lying in a small puddle of blood. There's still another in there that's too deep and we'll have to wait for crooks. I can dress it and give you some more painkiller, but it'll need attention fairly soon. Ford operatives have the charming habit of coating their ammunition with cystoxin, which can cause trouble. But if you stay here tonight, Eve will be able to take you on at first light. I thanked him and waited while he finished numbing and taping the sight. In the background, I could hear them talking about other people Eve had brought through what they were doing and where they had gone after Crux. It probably would have been a very helpful conversation for me to have listened in on. But my mind was running around like a rat in a cage. I realised now from the answers Prediger had just given me that the mayor had been right all along. Central was never going to let me waltz in and waltz out, as he put it. They were never going to give me the cure without securing an oath of loyalty. They were never going to accept the four gold sovereigns that I had been carrying in the sole of my boot all the way from Spillen. I was never going to return home as the conquering hero. Yet even that wasn't my real problem. The main reason why I had been hoping to buy my treatment was to avoid Central asking too many questions about my past. And now it turned out that not only would I have to pledge myself to the Central Government if I wanted to get the cure, I would also at some point have to submit to a memory scan just like Bird said. And when that happened, they would find out what I'd done and then I would be finished. <laughs>